I uh, brought this shepherd's crook up here to get you in the mood for a message on shepherding. This is uh, an honest-to-goodness, sure enough, genuine shepherd's crook made by an Appalachian shepherd for shepherds. He was a very short shepherd. <laughs> and uh, I keep it in my, uh, in my office to remind me what, uh, what my job is. I'm just a shepherd, and a very small one at that. I, uh, we have a crash on our, on our coffee table, an uh, olive wood crash that we've had for a number of years. And I was looking at that manger scene the other day and wondering again about the uh, theme of shep- shepherds and shepherding and why that theme keeps appearing regularly in, in the Christmas story. I can't think of a nativity scene or a nativity play that didn't in some way include a sheep. And we've got one here with us this morning. There must be something very significant about sheep and shepherding, something that uh, is related closely to uh, the Christmas story. And, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is Luke's account of the shepherds that were tending their flocks in the fields near the cave where the Lord was born. The angels announced the good news that the Savior had come, and they went off to uh, to find him. Actually, it's not a story at all about uh, shepherds finding their shepherd. It's the story of angels finding shepherds and bringing them to their shepherd. Uh, shepherds, as I pointed out before, in that day were like lumberjacks and miners and cowboys today. They were tough. Uh, hard-nosed characters, mostly irreligious, rasty sorts that never saw the inside of a synagogue. It's always seemed highly significant to me that, that the angels sought out the shepherds first. Even shepherds need a shepherd. But uh, the story of sheep and shepherding really goes back into the Old Testament. And I'd like to have you turn with me to Ezekiel the prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 34, to take a look at uh, what I think is the beginning of the story, or at least one beginning. Ezekiel tells us that uh, this best of shepherds was known before he was born, was seen before he appeared. Ezekiel prophesied uh, about 2,500 years ago uh, right at the end of the 6th century B.C. It was his unhappy task to announce the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. He had forewarned uh, the people of Judah that their holy city would be, uh, would be leveled. And that, in fact, happened uh, in August of 586 B.C. Uh, one of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's captains besieged the city, breached the walls, destroyed the temple, burned it to the ground, leveled the city, and uh, dispersed uh, the people of Israel all over the the ancient world. They were scattered, as Ezekiel puts it. Ezekiel predicted that that terrible event, and then after the event occurred, he took on a pastoral shepherding role to comfort the exiles. The turning point is verse 21 of chapter 33 where we're told that in the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day, a man 
who had escaped from Jerusalem, came to me and said, the city has fallen. Uh, this report is dated precisely. It would be our January the 8th, 585, five, something like four months, a little over four months after the actual destruction of the city. It took the man, the, the fugitive, that long to reach uh, Ezekiel, who was over in Babylon, and to report the fall of the city. And then, from that point on, Ezekiel's ministry is that of a shepherd to his people. Verse 30, chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. The shepherds are the kings and clergy, the spiritual leadership, the political leadership of the nation. Prophesy against them and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Literally, only shepherd themselves. The shepherds who shepherd themselves. Should not the shepherd shepherd the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter uh, the choice animals, but you don't shepherd the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep, my sheep wandered over all the mountains, and on every high hill they were scattered over the entire earth, and no one searched or looked from them, for them. Uh, it's reminiscent of our Lord's uh, words, or Matthew's words about our Lord. Uh, recorded in Matthew 9, when he saw them, he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I've always thought that uh, sheep uh, are good metaphors for people. Uh, I'm a sheep as well as a shepherd, and I understand what it means to be one of the sheep. Uh, there are those little ones that have to be carried. There are the cripples who have been either maimed by heredity or by their environment. They've been assaulted and battered and, and mistreated and misinformed and crippled because of it, and they can't uh, keep up. There are the care-worn nursing ewes that cannot be driven. They're the old bellwethers that always want to be up front, want to be noticed, and, and push their way to the front of the flock. They're the bullies who butt and push people to get their own way. They're the fugitives that are on the lamb, so to speak. They're those that nibble their way into lostness. There are the timid and the sheepish. And uh, very few really follow meekly. What, what they need, what we all need, is a good shepherd. Uh, we, we look in a number of places for someone to shepherd us. We look for a psychiatrist who will help us heal our wounds, or for a husband or wife who will nourish us and cherish us. Or we look for a family that will shield us from abuse, but everyone falls short. No matter how good these shepherds are, there's no one really worthy of the name, no one like that Great shepherd of the sheep, as the author of Hebrews calls him, our Lord Jesus. Um, there is a wonderful description here in verses 11 and following of the kind of shepherd that we're looking for. You'll notice that uh, he contrasts the, the worthless shepherds that are described in verses 1 through 6 with the way our, our sovereign Lord himself shepherds us. Verse 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, 
I myself will search for my sheep, and I will look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of cloudness and darkness. Uh, uh, excuse me, a day of clouds and darkness. That's a description of the exile. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements on the land. I will tend them. Literally, I will shepherd them in good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. Literally, a place of rest. I couldn't help but think of Psalm 23 as I read through this passage this past week. He makes us. He makes us lie down in, in green pastures. He restores our soul. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself, no one like that good shepherd, I myself will tend my sheep, and I will have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong, that is, uh, in, in Ezekiel's day, the rich merchants, the powerful political leaders of their country that have depressed them, the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. That, for me, is a wonderful, wonderful section of, of Scripture. I was struck, as I read through the passage, with the number of times that God describes the sheep as my sheep. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. Uh, there are a number of instances here in the, in the prophecy where we are described, God's people are described as his sheep. And uh, it reminded me of John 10, 28, 29, where our Lord says, My sheep, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish. I've been told that... Uh, Shepherds in, in uh, the Lord's day knew all their sheep. Their sheep were more like pets than wild animals. Uh, they, uh, thank you, they knew their sheep by name, uh, Mabel or Josephine or whatever. And they also had a special call for their sheep. The shepherd, uh, a number of shepherds would enfold their sheep in one location. And then in the morning, uh, each shepherd would go into the fold and he had a special call, something like that. And uh, the sheep would recognize his call and they would follow him. And that's what our Lord had in mind when he said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We recognize his voice and he knows each one of us. He knows us by, uh, by name. And then we're told that he goes looking for his sheep on a number of, in a number of, uh, of, of texts here in chapter 34, a number of verses. He says, I myself will search for my uh, sheep. He goes out looking for the lost, those that for one reason or another have strayed away from the fold, from the flock, and from the shepherd, and from the protection that the shepherd uh, affords. And I thought of Matthew 18, our Lord's words about the 99, that the shepherd leaves on the, on the hills and he goes off to find the one sheep that's, uh, that's lost. The interesting thing to me about that story of... Uh, the 90, 99 and 1, is, is its context. It's the text in which it's placed. The verses that precede it 
uh, in the verses that precede that little parable, the Lord talks about the world and what the world is really like, and uh, that there will be assaults upon the sheep again and again. Woe be to the world, he says, for inducements to sin, for temptations to sin. And uh, he indicates that the sheep are going to be affected by the lure and the call of the world. And then he tells the story of the 99 and the one that's lost. And the point is that even when the sheep are seduced into sin, he goes out and he finds them, he fetches them, and he brings them back. And the passage that follows, of course, is the passage that we all, uh, we, we went, so we read it, Matthew 18, where our Lord said, if your brother strays off into sin, go and get him. And then take two or three, and then send the whole church after him. And uh, that pattern is modeled after the fact that our Lord himself goes after us. He can't live with the fact that we're wandering away. He will not let us go until he causes us to return. I'd like to read something that uh, Simon Tugwell uh, wrote. He said, Another picture that our Lord loves to use is that of a shepherd who goes out to look for the sheep that's lost. And then he quotes Matthew 18, 12 and following. So long as we imagine that it is we who have to look for God, then we, we must often lose heart. But it's the other way around. He's looking for us. And so we can afford to recognize that very often we're not looking for God. Far from it, we're in full flight from him in high rebellion against him. And he knows it and has taken it into account. He has followed us into our darkness. There, where we thought finally to escape him, we, we run straight into his arms. And so we do not have to erect a false piety for ourselves. We don't have to pretend to give us a hope of salvation. Our hope is in his determination to save us. And he will not. Give in. That's the good shepherd. We wander away, and he goes looking for us. But not only does he look for us, he looks after us. Verse 11, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep and I will... I'll rescue them. Uh, he uses a word that's used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe the investigation that the priest made into the state of sacrificial uh, lambs. They looked them over carefully for blemishes. Here, he uses the word to describe the way the Lord examines our life. He looks uh, over our life. He sees the bruises, the hurts from, from the maulings that we've received in life. And he's well aware of, of our state. And this text tells us that our Lord does the thing that the unworthy shepherds do not do. It's described uh, a bit later in the paragraph in verse 15. I'll tend my sheep and I'll have them lie down. I'll search for the lost and bring them back. I'll bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. So uh, he binds up our wounds. He takes care of our hurts. As C.S. Lewis says, we have to leave it to God to dress our wounds, and we must stop peeking under the bandages. Uh, we just have to wait for the Lord to, to heal us, knowing that he really does care about us. Uh, the, I don't know if you knew it, know it or not, but the song that Claudia sang is taken from Isaiah. And uh, again, it's a, it's a pastoral uh, theme. It's the idea of the Lord gathering the little ones into his arms and not overdriving the ewes that, uh, that are nursing young. 
tenderly carrying them as a shepherd. Again, the context of that section is very interesting because it describes our Lord coming. He says, announce to Zion, announce to Jerusalem that your God is coming. That's what brings peace to us, the fact that our God is present. And he comes flexing his arms, a picture of him uh, flexing this uh, magnificent bicep. And then he he says, uh, that's the same arm with which he uh, embraces the sheep and, and holds them close to his heart, is the way the NIV translates. So the power that created the universe is the power that holds us to his heart. That's why Jesus said, he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that's why he said, no one can pluck them out of my hand and no one can pluck them out of my out of my Father's hand. So he not only goes out looking for us when he finds us, he looks after us and he protects us from the bullies that would drive us away from the flock and from the protection of the shepherd. And then he says a remarkable thing. This is mystery, verse 23. I, I don't think that anyone in, in, in Ezekiel's day could possibly understand the, the full implications of this statement. They understood something of it but certainly not in in uh, the statement in its entirety. Verse 23, I will raise up over them one shepherd, literally a unique shepherd. There is no one like this shepherd that will come to take my place. I will raise up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will tend them. That is, he will shepherd them. He will shepherd them and be their servant. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. In other words, this is the captain speaking. Uh, There is authority in these words. I want you to listen. He does exactly the same thing in Isaiah 40 uh, when he says men are like grass. They dry up and blow away after a time. But the word of God endures forever. And then he announces the coming of the prince. Well, this is exactly what Ezekiel is saying. This is the Lord speaking. Uh, This is the sovereign Lord of the universe speaking. Listen, listen to what he has to say. This is a sure thing. Someday I'm going to place over my people a unique shepherd. There is no one, there has never been anyone like him. There will never be anyone like him after. It's my servant David. We say, no, whoa, wait a minute. Ezekiel wrote, uh, 586 or so, David lived uh, about 1,000 B.C. So uh, we're, we're, we have things backwards here. Well, no, you see, Ezekiel is not talking about David, King David per se. He's not talking about a resurrected David, a reincarnated, da- uh, reincarnated David. This is David revisited in some sense. He's talking about the one who is in the line of David, the son of David, who is also the Son of God. This is the one in whom our, the Father delights. This is the one of whom he said at his baptism, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the one that Daniel describes as the one desired of women. This is that great shepherd of the sheep, as Hebrews says, our Lord Jesus Christ. This one whom David typified, whom David signified because he was a man after God's own heart. He extended his kingdom throughout the ancient Near East, almost to the, to the limits of the then-civilized world. This is the one who stands as a representative of the son of David who's to come later. This is the promised one. This is, our, this is our Lord Jesus, who is described here as God's servant. It's the highest accolade that can be given to any person, the servant of God. This is the servant of Yahweh, as he's described in Isaiah, who comes to serve God and to serve God's people. 
And this one, he says, will tend them, he will shepherd them, and uh, he will be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be their, their prince. In other words, we're in this together. We share a common purpose. He will shepherd after my example of shepherding, and he will be a prince among them. This is the prince of peace. And you'll notice that that's exactly what God promises in verse 25. When he comes, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It is a covenant that produces peace. Covenants in those days were designed to ensure that war ceased between two parties. They drew up a covenant in order to reconcile two parties. A covenant of peace, it's a, that's a phrase that occurs often in ancient Near Eastern literature, is a covenant that produces peace. In other words, it's a covenant that works. It's a covenant that brings mutual enemies into accord. Uh, it produces peace where before there has been a state of unrest and, and uh, people are not seeing things the same way. They're not looking at things the same way. They're not together. They're brought together by this, by this covenant. You see, this is what the angels meant. When they said to the shepherds, I have some good news for you. Glory to God in the highest, and on peace, and on earth, peace, among men with whom God is well pleased. The King James introduces a thought into the text that's really foreign to it. He's not saying, the angels are not saying we should go out and be men of goodwill. He's rather saying these are men whom God favors. What is it that God favors? He favors faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if you have faith, you're pleasing to God. Faith in what? Faith in this little baby that's born in the cave that the shepherds were told to go and find. It's that one that they were to believe in. And when they believed in him, they were reconciled to God. The covenant of peace that was promised was affected. It worked so that men and women were brought back into relationship with God, And everything can be falling apart around them. Their lives can be in total disarray. Their circumstances can be awful. And yet they can know that they're at peace with God. They're deeply loved by him. He is present in, present in their life. That's the peace that he brings. And that's why he's called the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince who, who brings about peace. I couldn't help but think of John 10 as I read through this uh, section in Ezekiel. And I'd like to leave that with you. You turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 10. The uh, historical context is almost identical. In uh, chapter 9, our Lord indicts the shepherds of Israel, the clergy, describes them as blind leaders of the blind. They're false shepherds, they're unworthy shepherds. They're not shepherding the sheep. Sheep. They were fleecing the flock. They were manipulating the flock to get their own way, to feed themselves. So the Lord contrasts these false shepherds with good shepherds who will come and with himself, who is the good shepherd par excellence. Verse 1, I tell you the truth, the man who doesn't enter by the... Who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in in some other way as a thief and a robber. This is descriptive of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the other clergymen of that day, who were false shepherds. He says they're thieves and robbers. They just want to kill and maim and destroy. The man who enters by the gate, that's, the, that's a true shepherd. That's a good shepherd when he comes through the gate. These fellows that go over the wall, got to watch them. 
The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by its name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow because they know his voice. But they'll not follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus was using a parable. They wanted to know what he meant, so he explains in verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, that is, the teachers and leaders, the unauthorized shepherds who preceded him who did not come through the gate. They went over the wall. They're thieves and robbers, but and the sheep didn't listen to them. That is, God's authentic people, real sheep, don't listen. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, he's not talking here about himself as the shepherd who comes into the fold. He's talking about himself as the gate. He says that very clearly. I'm the gate. And the point that he's making here is that the only shepherds worthy of the name are the shepherds who come through me. That is, they come through the Messiah, through Christ, to minister to the sheep. And they're the ones who care for the sheep. Anybody else who doesn't come through Christ is a worthless shepherd, a thief, a robber. Don't listen to them, he says. But good shepherds come through the gate, and if you enter through me, you'll be saved. That is, in here he's talking about the good shepherds who come in through Christ, who minister to the sheep and will do so successfully. That is, they will be saved from uselessness, from futility, from fruitlessness. They'll, As we say, they'll have impact. And they will come in and go out and find pasture. It's a phrase that's found in the book of Numbers. Uh, when Moses was, uh, he was about to die and he was concerned about what would happen to his people. And God said, don't worry about it. I'm going to raise up another leader like you, and he will come in and go out before his people, and he will bring them out to pastures. Talking about Joshua. And here our Lord picks up that phrase and applies it to the good shepherds who will come in through the gate, through Christ, and they'll minister to the sheep, and they'll take them out to graze, and they'll bring them back, and they'll protect them, and they'll take care of them, and they'll tend them the way the good shepherd does. And then the Lord changes his thrust on us, and he, he's no longer talking about human shepherds, but he begins to talk about himself. I am the good shepherd, the most excellent shepherd. I know my sheep, verse 14, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. In other words, the good shepherd knows us, has the same intimate relationship that he himself had to the Father. That's how close he is to us. Does the Father love the Son? Does the, love, does the Son love the Father? Unquestionably, they do. And the same love that they have for one another is the love that the Good Shepherd has for us. And that love is so great, he says, I, I, I will lay down my life for the sheep, which he did. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. You know who that is? That's us. He was talking uh, first about uh, the Jews who were in the fold, the Jews that were listening to his voice, who believed that he was their Messiah. The other sheep, as he describes them here, are the Gentiles. That's us. I have other sheep that are not of the sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice, and, and there will be one flock, not Jew and Gentile, but one flock and one shepherd, not one Messiah for Israel and one Messiah for the Gentiles, but one shepherd, one flock. How will he do this? He'll lay down his life, only to take it up again. 
I have authority, he says, to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Do you understand what he's saying? The way he brought us in, the way he became our shepherd is through the cross. He went to the cross, he laid down his life, and he, he rose from the dead so he could continue to be our shepherd. And that's what he is today. Well, do we ever need a good shepherd? I don't know about you, but uh, there's so much hurry and hustle and hubbub and uh, noise and confusion and racket during Christmas time, and you feel like you're being keel-hauled and pushed and shoved, and, and people start showing up that you didn't expect, and uh, you know you got in-laws dropping in and dropping out, and uh, you, you, you expect your children to come home for Christmas, and they don't, and it's just a mess, and you're out fighting at traffic, you're getting mauled, you know, if you know what I mean, and, uh, <clears throat> and I say, where is the center of peace in this, uh, in this world today? And it, for me, it just comes back to reflecting on the fact that we're just a bunch of sheep that desperately need a a good shepherd, someone that will enfold us, someone that will protect us, someone that will carry us in our arms, someone that will go fetch us when we get caught up in, in materialism and, and all the, you know, the, the inducements and, and the bullying that we get to buy stuff we don't really want. And we tend to get caught up in this, and we need somebody to, to come fetch us. I have a dear friend, Brian Morgan, who sent me a, the latest uh, book uh, of George MacDonald's Sermons. These are, have not been printed before, and I just happened to be flipping through it this morning, and I came across uh, one called Sheep and Sheepdogs. I thought I'd read it to you. This is great stuff. When I think of the Lord as a shepherd, I see the love of his sheep in his face and in his eyes, gracious and tender and self-forgetting. But he has a terrible set of sheepdogs around him, and they have fearful names. There is pain and fear and anxiety and shame. Oh, there are many of them. They follow at his heels. But if there is a strayed sheep away on the hill that won't turn at the call of the master, he speaks a word to one of his dogs, pain, fear, anxiety, and shame. And away speeds that dog after the sheep that won't turn. Oh, they are sacred creatures, these dogs, for they work the will of the Father. We must be made clean, and if we do not come to him to be made clean, his dogs come after us. All the trouble you are in, you may call just the shepherd's dogs that come to fetch you back to the fold. Here the Lord is calling. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Remember what Ezekiel, how Ezekiel described the shepherd who causes the sheep to lie down in green pastures. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If we're afraid of the shepherd's dogs, there's no refuge but with the shepherd himself. If you're frightened at them, away, away back to the shepherd, and the dogs will be your servants. The right path is the safe path. He will give you rest. It's worth thinking about during this Christmas season. He's a good shepherd. He knows who you are. You're one of his sheep. He's looking for you. He's looking after you. He's going to take care of you. He promises that he's going to tend you like the faithful, tender shepherd that, that he is. 
I came across one of David's statements in the Psalms. It describes himself uh, communing with God on his bed and being quiet. I don't know how you are most mornings, but uh, you know sometimes you wake up in the morning and and you you're just by yourself. You know your mate still may may be in bed, or maybe there's no one in the house but you, and, and it's just you and God. You're all alone. The darkness sort of closes you in, and there you are, and you start thinking about the day, and your first thought is very often, how am I going to get through this day? Or, uh, what shall I do first today? And David said the thing to do at a time like that is to commune with your heart on your bed and, and be silent. What he meant is to reflect upon what it means to have a God who loves you and who cares about you. To reflect on the fact that you have a shepherd who, who loves you. So instead of asking, how shall I get through today, your first thought ought to be, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters for his name's sake. He restores my soul. Or if you're thinking, what shall I do first today, rather sing to yourself, if you don't frighten your roommate too much. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For our use thy folds prepare. We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Keep thy flock from sin. Defend us. Seek us when we go astray.